the more you understand the market, the more you realize you don't understand the market very well. That's true. Uh, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And the more I know I don't know, the more I know I don't know that I don't know. Which means that when I die, I shall probably drown in a sea of ignorance. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we are bald. And bearded. Yes, we are bearded as well. And today, we will be pounding the airwaves with talk about finance and the economy, because we know how much everyone loves that. <clears throat> it is a... Um, Unanimous, unanimously referred to as the dreary science, as if it's dismal, a the dismal, dismal science. Dismal science. Well, I've heard right. it called the dreary science by quite a lot of people as well. So the dismal mm. science, the dreary science, and that is all implicit on the concept that it is a science, which is possibly not true. Not a lot of hypotheses in economics. And the method of science is to question everything. Economists rarely question themselves, though. So you may hear us questioning ourselves in the most uni unique form of economics conversation ever. How am I doing today? Quite well, thank you. See, I just questioned myself. And they're quite famous for having multiple hands because they would commonly say to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, on the other hand, and he said what he needed is some economists, one-armed economists. Yes. One-armed economists would take care of everything, except that you'll never find a one-armed economist. Uh, really? I think I think the uh, James Bond movie Octopussy was about an economist. Mm, okay. Maybe. But we have other disclosures, as if you didn't gather from that, we are weird. First disclosure. We are, well, second, third. We've told you we were bald and bearded. We like puns. We're very strange in that manner. We're going to talk about the economy. This is called the Personal Wealth Coach. It's not just the name of this program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm that gives fiduciary investment advice, which the people from that firm that talk on this program can't give investment advice on the air. Why? Because it's not private. Why else? Be because we don't know everybody that's listening, maybe. Maybe nobody's listening. Um, just because the SEC is the place where the firm is registered doesn't mean that the SEC particularly enjoys our presence in any way. They may believe that we have body odor and inappropriate body hair. Uh, they don't tell us that part. That's not their job. It's not their job to give us approval. So they haven't. Please don't think that they have. Why am I being so down on ourselves about approval from a government agency? Because some people say or imply that just because they're registered with the government in some way, it gives them, I don't know, some type of greater knowledge. Anybody who's ever registered with the IRS could argue that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so being registered to pay your taxes does not imply that the U.S. government particularly appreciates you. Um, that's not their job. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, it's not advice, but we're registered to give. What are we doing if we can't give advice on the air? Well, we're giving education, and hopefully it will allow you to understand the world of finance a bit better to make slightly better choices in your own personal finance, whether that's investment or 
how you structure the payment on your house and what type of debt you have on your airplanes or automobiles or Whatever. lawnmowers, whatever that may be, tractors. Um, we're hopefully going to fill in some gaps in your knowledge. We're going to talk about the big wide world and we get our information from a lot of places. Do you want to tell them about the places we get the information? The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of information we present on this radio program. We, however, do absolutely warranty and guarantee that any information that we don't give was ungiven by us. Therefore, something. Um, uh, we yeah. don't pay for this radio program. Weird, I know, in the world of paid commercial programming on Saturday morning, we still don't pay for the program. We're also not getting paid. Wait a minute. Didn't I just say we were supposed to be wise in the ways of personal finance? And here we've been doing 26 years of free Saturday mornings. Not free to us. Um, hopefully, hopefully the listening audience has benefited from our mumblings and uh, meanderings and um, weird jargon as we go about trying to educate people. Hopefully. All right. So we're through the disclosures. What happened pretty, this pretty week? Amazing. Yeah, well, it is amazing to be through disclosures. It's very strange. Well, the markets opened up pretty much where they closed last week, and they were running along smoothly on Monday, not going much of anywhere with its usual drama of not going anywhere, the S&P 500 anyway. And then on Tuesday morning, the traders on Wall Street suddenly decided that stocks in the United States were worth significantly more than they were the day before. And so the market jumped upward, jumped upward 1.9%, just bang, just like that, which it doesn't sound like a lot until you realize that that's one day. 1.9% on the stock market, the size of the United States stock market is a lot of movement. Now, I have to point out that you used an onomatopoeia of bang. Yes. We have to be careful which onomatopoeia you use in the market because while you're describing someone uh, banging drums or dropping cymbals or whatever in the market, these words have meaning. A boom is good, but a crash is bad for some reason. Those were well, they're, they're both sounds, but you I said use bang. A bang, which is very different from a boom. Did you get enough bang for your buck, though? I did. Okay. Uh, lot, lots of bucks, as a matter of fact. So a bang is and, like a uh, little boom in this case, in that the market jumped up with a bang. It right. was booming when it, it did it. it. It just basically stayed there the rest of the week, which is sort of abnormal for the United States S&P 500. Um, it just kind of, it popped up one point, say I used pop that time, 1.9% to 45.14.02. Uh, and it ended the week there. It's kind of nice. Uh, it was really having watched the markets for a long time, it was an unusual week. Um, the reason, by the way, let, let me get the numbers out of the way. Yes. Um, so uh, in November, it is up 7.2%, the S&P 500. For the week, it rose 2.24% and is now up about 17.6% this year. It's up 26% from last October. It's more than doubled its value since March of 2020. And I know that was a long time ago. Just for memory's sake, it's probably if you're a person who gets scared when the market goes down, it was the last time you were really scared. It's when the market declined in 2020. Well, I'm going to tell you something a little bit weird. 
Yeah. That really scared moment, people are starting to have a lot of trouble remembering it. There's yes. A good reason for that. Three and a half years is our emotional memory bank. Yeah. And it's now been a couple of months longer than three and a half years since the massive crash in the market. And so people go, what crash? Where a year ago, they so, were going, yeah, that was horrible. The uh, It's still 5.82% lower than it was at the beginning of 2022. Now, we follow another index for several reasons. One, we happen to like the asset class mid-cap value in the United States. The other one is, if you look at the S&P 493, which isn't an index that I can find anywhere, but it gets mentioned a lot in Bloomberg and other places, it basically is flat this year. At least it was until this week. Um, there are only seven. There's seven big stocks in the S and P 500 that currently occupy about 34 percent of the value of the S and P 500 is seven stocks. And those seven tech stocks, those seven stocks that are involved in AI and things of that nature, have risen. That's been just about all the rise of the S and P 500 until this week. The interesting thing, at least to me, about this week is when the rise took place. We double check it against the CRSP U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index, which rose 3.31% this week. It rose more than the S&P 500. Um, it closed at 2321.63. It's still down about 0.77% from the beginning of the year, which is about where the main part of the market was. Um, and it's 7% higher than it was last October. So there, just saying what happened in the market is becoming more and more complex, probably because I'm understanding it better and better. But um, it's and the, it's, it's secret, we're in positive territory again. There's a secret about understanding the market better. The more you understand the market, the more you realize you don't understand the market very well. That's true. Uh, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And the more I know I don't know, the more I know I don't know that I don't know. Which means that when I die, I shall probably drown in a sea of ignorance. And that is um, a summation of a psychological uh, bias in behavioral finance called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and it's worth looking really? at. Really? Yes. Well, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, into the week at 4.44%. You may or may not track that particular item, but it's, it is important because it is the benchmark for interest rates longer than the very short interest rates. Uh, it's back to where it was in late September, but it's a lot higher than it was two years ago. It's still uh, higher than it was most of the last decade or two. So 4.44% for the uh, 10-year treasury. The uh, the 20 and 30-year treasuries are a little higher. They're in the upper fours. That's good. However, the short-term, less than one-year maturity treasury securities are still well over 5%, which means yield curve remains very solidly inverted. The Federal Reserve continues to hold interest rates uh, pretty high. Uh, and that's basically where we are in the market. Now, oil uh, dropped about $73 on Thursday before ending the week at $75.77. It was about $80 last week. So the price of oil is coming down a bit. And Frankly, it's a bit of a mystery to me as to what's going on in the oil market. It seems to be a mystery to everybody else, too, so you know, that makes me feel good. Well, I mean, it's not completely a mystery to a lot of people. That's, that's, I think it's a bit, bit of a mystery. Yeah, so, I mean, we're producing a lot of oil right now. A, mm -hmm. a, the United States is producing at historic levels oil and natural gas, and that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. My point say? is that we've been producing about as much as we're producing now for several months, but mm -hmm. the price of the price of oil, therefore, is going up and down, not 
based on what we're producing, I think. It's been going up and down based on what Saudi Arabia, Russia, what's going on over there. And the, the other thing, of course, is the anticipated demand. Yeah. Normally, when we get news like we got this week, that the Federal Reserve is probably not going to continue to raise interest or term interest rates because we got a lot of news in the economy that suggests it is moderating. One would think that the price of oil would go up because the, the reason the market went up is because the fear of a Federal Reserve-induced recession pulled back. It abated. Right. Normally, when that happens, the price of oil goes up. But instead of going up, which it did initially, it slid back down again and then came back up again a little bit. And here's the reason. I, I'm clueless as to why. There are three major economies on the planet, the United States, the European Union, and China. The United States is using more oil than usual right now, but it's also producing a lot more oil than it's using itself. Mm-hmm. China is using less oil than it did a year ago. This is one of the issues that is kind of important to recognize, and they're getting it from sources that aren't part of the normal market. That affects the normal market price. On top of that, last year at this point, the European Union was scrambling as hard as it could to, to find places to get natural gas and oil and find places to store it so that it had reserves for the winter. Because if you recall, there was a minor incident with Russia and Europe and something about an invasion. And you know what I'm following there. You're picking up what I'm putting down or maybe that. I, I got you. Maybe got you. that's what we do with dogs and it's kind of gross. Uh, so you've got this massive. We pick, we pick up what they put down? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's definitely the tail wagging the dog there. Uh, the, the European Union was terrified last year at this point that they wouldn't have enough energy to make it through the winter without massive blackouts and people dying in the cold in, in a first world nation, Germany, uh, France, people dying of cold when they're a developed nation. What this, so they were scrambling to avoid that. And they wound up having more reserves than they needed for the winter last year. Their reserves right now are about a third above what they were last year at the beginning of winter so the demand from the european union as they kind of teeter on the edge of a recession is lower than it was last year and significantly lower than it was the year before that china's demand for oil is lower than it was last year and the year before as well they're going through weird stuff and a lot of their excess oil needs are coming from russia and they're kind of off the books so it's not affecting the value in the rest of the market, except in a negative way. It's causing the market to be less expensive, which is nice for the rest of us. Uh, so well, that's a little of the background of the, the big movements. Why it's moving up and down in the short term is just as silly as anything else in any market. Well, I've, I've noted when people say, what is going on with this market? It seems kind of crazy to me. I said, they summed it up very nicely. On a scale of 1 to 10, uh, the market is crazy. Yes, yes. And you see that so on the much, scale, it's right in between some of the numbers. Right. It's uh, there's we, We've gotten used to markets that are driven by supply and demand from fairly simple sources. And we can look at that and say, okay, here's what's happening. This makes sense. The world is very peculiarly different now than it was a few years ago. The marketplace has changed. Uh, it has. And now the, the, the way people feel about the marketplace probably hasn't changed, but there's different players. And that means that the play style changed. I wanted to add something here. Mm -hmm. 
We're talking about longer-term interest rates. One of the reasons that longer-term interest rates have been rising is because of a simple issue of supply and demand. If, if there's a lot of selling of bonds going on, to say 20-year bonds or 10-year bonds, then the price of bonds tends to go down. And it was an interesting thing. The Treasury last week uh, was forced to shorten the uh, maturities of what in, in their borrowing as they went to market. They borrowed a lot more money short term than they did long term. Mm -hmm. uh, they had intended to borrow more money long term, but the demand wasn't there. And one of the reasons there's insufficient demand is there's somebody else selling lots of trillions of dollars of U.S. Treasury bonds into the longer term market, and it's called the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So when the it's, U.S. government goes to sell it at the same time that the Federal Reserve is already selling it in large amounts, they're kind of like, well, something interesting there, though. It, it used to be called quantitative tightening. In other words, the Federal Reserve, instead of buying bonds, which is quantitative easing, easing is doing quantitative tightening, uh, which is to sell bonds into the open market. And what that does is it pulls money out of circulation. Um, it slows economic activity down because it raises interest rates. And if you don't understand that, that's all right. A lot of people don't. We do, but it's weird. Um but this is the point. Jaron Powell has said several times that he intends to continue selling bonds on the open market off of the Fed's balance sheet until they return to normal levels. Well, the Fed currently holds $7.9 trillion worth of bonds in their balance sheet. 3.7 is where it was in 2019. So if they're going to come down from 7.9 to 3.7, they got a lot of selling to do. They're going to be selling bonds into the open market for some time, which would suggest that longer-term rates may have dropped half a point last week, but I, they're still considerably higher than they were in the past uh, past 10 years, and I think they're going to stay there and probably continue to rise a bit as time goes by. Uh, it's just an issue of there's a lot of Federal Reserve balance sheet that they need to sell off to be prepared for the next slowdown. And they said they're going to do it until it reaches uh, normal. And we're going to, I think, be in a position where higher interest rates longer and longer interest rates higher longer are probably the norm going forward. I think this is very much like the 1990s at this point. This is we've returned to a more normal historical bond market, and I don't see any reason to go away from it. What caused the great drop in interest rates and the great drop in inflation for for what many people have their entire experience in the, in the investments market, in other words, almost 20 years, was China's entry into the world economy. And as China entered the world economy, they brought the price of just about everything down. And as inflation dropped to effectively zero, interest rates slid down at the same time because people who loan money figure I need this many percent above interest rate to loan you the money and are above inflation owning you the money. And um, if inflation's running along about zero, that's cool. But I really don't see interest rates getting significantly lower than they are now in the intermediate to long rate. Right. Matter of fact, I think they'll tend to go up over time. Yeah. Um, and what you were saying about um, not having enough people to meet the demand at the treasury sale, so they had to shift to shorter term. When you have less demand, the people that are getting the loan, the government, has to raise interest rates. They have to agree to pay a higher interest or they don't get the loan. Uh, when there's not enough people willing to give them a loan or to leave them alone, ha, uh, then they have to raise interest rates. That's how auctions work. And that means that 
we should continue to expect that into the future. We've had two auctions now in the last two weeks where the demand wasn't fully met by for the long-term debt by the buyers, and they had to introduce shorter-term debt at a higher interest rate because they weren't willing to lock in that debt at a longer-term, higher interest. some point, the government's going to have to say, we've got to take it anyway. And that's going to cause interest rates to continue to climb in the long term. So that was that was the wrap on that. Um, this week, a lot and a little happened. Uh, the GDP of the European Union was forecast by the European Central Bank as being basically tiny growth, tiny, tiny growth. Uh, it looks like China is moving into deflation, and we can talk about that. Because there are parts of the U.S. economy that are at least disinflating. We're seeing in a series of areas, weird because these are areas that generally don't see prices drop, um, That, and we'll get into that next hour in more depth as to why it is that the prices are dropping where they are and what prices are dropping while some prices are still going up. Well, all right. Well, we're about out of time for this hour. Where did it go? It was just started and now it's coming to an end. But if you it would went like... To, it went to the mountains. Time, yeah, you're right. It went to mountain time zone. It left here and went to Colorado, which a lot of us right. would like to do in the summer. And New Mexico. Yes. Uh if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give customized investment advice and portfolio management to people of relatively high net worth. The email address to contact is jake at tpwc.com or jeff at tpwc.com. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there, read our newsletter going back a long ways. It comes out every Friday. You can listen to our radio program going back a lot of years. You can go and find podcasts wherever you find podcasts. We also have a contact form on the webpage there. Uh, if you simply want to have a question answered, send us an email, jake at tpwc.com and jeff at tpwc.com. Thank you very much for listening this hour, and hopefully you'll be back next hour with more of The Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. <laughs>